1: Hello, welcome to the Broadcast podcast. It's great to have you all with us today. My name is Tom O'Toole, and we've got Beth Delamere with us as well today. We're both part of the team here at Broadcast. And uh, we've just come in off the conference a couple of weeks ago Renewal for Revival. And we wanted to use this pod to bring you a bit of the content from that conference. Beth, it's great to have you with us. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah,
0: I'm good. Enjoying the June
1: summer yeah. that we're getting. Oh, it's so hot, isn't it? Yeah, really <laughs> nice. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your experience of the conference did you enjoy it what what were some of the things that stood out to you
0: yeah i i loved it I thought it was an amazing twenty four hours of um yeah just coming into God's presence being challenged being um encouraged and uh looking looking to the the next few weeks months and just with expectation of what is god going to do within our churches and our communities on our streets. I just, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, and you did you enjoy it? <laughs> I
1: I did. It was it was a, There was such a sense, you know, in the in the times that we were worshipping of the presence mm. of God. And really powerful. I, I I thought our teams did great. Dana and Rosie on the worship mm. led us so well. And there was just an atmosphere where it felt like everyone in the room was Meeting with God was hungry to go deeper. I thought uh, you and the others who were anchoring did a great job. There was gifts of the spirit flowing and prophetic mm. things happening just the mood was awesome um, I, I love, love the time together socially while we're eating together and spending mm. time and, uh, and that Wednesday evening where the room was absolutely packed out <laughs> with evening yeah. tickets it was raucous it was
0: incredible yeah, it was so loud it was amazing to hear yeah. so many people singing so passionately and <laughs> yeah it was very. It was very sticky and hot at the same time. It was very warm.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That was great. Though we should definitely do it again next year.
0: Mm, without a doubt, yeah. yeah. So one of the really exciting things as well is over the next couple of episodes on the podcast we are going to be bringing you the teaching content from the conference so um Tom and I are going to be getting together re-listening to these these great training sessions and and introducing them chatting a bit about them about what struck us most from the talks and then yeah bringing you the content directly so today we're gonna Tom you kicked off the conference so today we're gonna just briefly speak about uh about your first session and Could you just, yeah, tell us a bit about some of the things you were trying to hit with that first session that you introduced us
1: with? Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to set the tone for what the vision for the conference was all about. Um, We need to see God move, you know. We need to Mm -hmm. see a work of God in power that's just beyond normal church life going on. And we see good things happening in our churches. But the scale of what we see versus what we dream of isn't quite there. And when we read history, we see there have been these times that God's poured out his spirit and done something just on a totally different scale. So I wanted to get us dreaming of that again and praying for that again and so i, I touch touched on some of the historical revivals and what are some of the common threads and you know how god's worked in his people and that's spread out into the world and we'll look at some of the promises in the bible as well because um, there is no magic formula for revival if there was it'd be lovely wouldn't it we'd all do it but there's no magic formula but there are these verses in scripture that god saying, if this then that and uh, it seems like those verses are all about the people of God repenting, turning back to God, seeking his face with a new desire, a new hunger for him. And then in that, we'll find refreshing and renewal, and then that will spill over into revival. So I was wanting to encourage people in that, and uh, a bit of a call, really, to turn back to God. Um, I think we've Mm. spent a long time... Thinking that we can do it, thinking that our own strength is enough, and Mm. it it really isn't. It really
0: isn't.
1: Mm. Um, Yeah. I don't know, Beth, you you heard the talk and you've listened to it again (laughs) a second time, so uh, you're pretty familiar Mm. with it now. But um, were there any things in it as I was kind of walking through that that you found like you'd go, yeah, I see that, or Mm. particularly stood out?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think so. I wasn't 100% sure. I didn't know what you were preaching for the first <laughs> session before we got to it. And then we'd loosely talked about it a little bit and um but I didn't know that you were going to be preaching on the theme of repentance, you know, renewal in ourselves beforehand. And it was so refreshing because we were, you know, a room full of um committed, mature Christians. And I was like, "No, yeah, we do need this. You know, we need to remember that this is part of our life and yeah, this this calling and desire for, for renewal as well in our own lives, um, is just just as it's just so important. And I think when you touched a little bit about on um I think you spoke about some kind of personal um people that you could think of in your lives who, you know, Someone who was struggling with singleness, they need Mm. renewal. Someone who's had a a health issue for a long Mm. time and they need need renewal. And I think you listed off maybe four to five different people groups. And I just thought, as I was listening to it again recently, I was like, we can all relate to Mm. either one of those ones that you said or Mm. loving and knowing someone who also needs that renewal right now. And so it was so... Yeah, it was really stirring. It was like, yeah, this mm. is a, a current um, current need of ours and those around us as well, which are just really stuck out to me. Um, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I thought you did a great job.
1: <laughs> oh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks to say so. Yeah, I think that point on on the different people. I mean, obviously when mm. the content comes out after this, people will hear it for themselves. But mm. it is so true that renewal, refreshing, revival, whatever we want to call it, it's not just for people in a specific circumstance and so Mm. looking at every circumstance and every person that we meet we can see there's there's just such a need for something powerful something of the presence of god to be with them and encourage them and strengthen them and do a work in them and Mm. the the need for it is profound in in Mm. all types of people Uh, and so yeah we we pray for it and we, we long for it to happen
0: Definitely, yeah. And I think it really set the stage as well for mm. then hearing from Rachel about, you know, emerging gener- generations and their need as well mm. for renewal. But then also Jeremy speaking about being filled with the spirit and mm. Sam talking about going out into our communities and it just all oh I mean, you really set the stage for I think, you know, mm. the the rest of the conference and from what we heard from the other speakers too. So it was yeah, it's really good.
1: Yeah, it all flowed together great, didn't it? Um mm. shall we um Let the people have a listen to the talk then. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So we're going to uh, give you the the talk in full now. We hope you enjoy it. If there's anything on it that engages you, anything that you want to... get back to us on or share your thoughts or ask questions about you know where to reach us we're on all the usual social media so do drop us a line if you want to but we hope you enjoy this and then next week we'll be back talking about session two which was rachel and her talk on emerging generations which was absolutely phenomenal so that'll be a good one to look forward to as well well welcome to the renewal for revival conference you know it's an absolute thrill to be doing this conference it's something we've dreamed about and been talking about for a long time so so what a pleasure it is to have you with us this afternoon i want to start by telling you a secret and this secret is the most ludicrous prayer that I prayed. I don't know if you have any ludicrous prayers, any prayers that if you were to bring them out in a public prayer meeting, you just get awkward looks. In fact, I have prayed this one in public a couple of times, and it just sapped the energy out of the room. It's like people looked at me thinking, Tom, do you understand how to pray? Do you understand what we normally pray for? This isn't a normal prayer. Now, it came about because 11 years ago, after I'd moved up to Manchester with Emma, I was invited along to a little meeting. It was a gathering of church leaders or people who were interested in planting churches. and It was talking about the region around Greater Manchester. And the person who led the session had a flip chart at the front, and he drew in the centre of it Manchester and then started drawing the different towns around. We had Stockport and Salford and Bolton and all the little towns that make up Greater Manchester. And then he went down into Cheshire a bit and into the peaks and a few of the mill towns to the north of Manchester as well. And then he asked us to estimate the population of the different places on this map and people put their best guesses forward and we totaled it up. And On this map we realised it represented about four million people. And the purpose of what he wanted to do with us was have us think about how we can reach this area. And he was talking about cooperation and church planting and evangelism, lots of important things. But I remember at one moment in that session, he just asked this question. He said, what would it take to see just 10 of the people represented by this map saved and added to the kingdom of God. So 4 million people now, I did maths at uni, so that was no problem for me. 4 million people, 10%, 400,000. And you didn't really linger particularly on that number, that wasn't a big part of what he was talking about. And yet something about that question that he asked and that specific number, 400,000, it's like it emblazoned on my soul. I couldn't shake it off. It stayed with me. And that is my ludicrous prayer. That's the prayer that I can't stop praying, that God keeps bringing into my mind over and over again. God, would you say 400,000 people in this region? And when I pray out loud, people look at me, because normally we pray for doubling of what we're doing. Normally we pray for God to add a few more people. 400,000 seems like you haven't really understood the assignment. You're not being realistic here. Maybe you've got similar prayers for your region. Maybe it's it's numbers, maybe it's um, particular areas, particular streets where you want to see God's work in a way that just seems unrealistic, that seems unimaginable. And I started to think about and work out what would it take then? what would it take to see 400,000 people in the greater Manchester area saved? And what I realised is that What's happening now doesn't look like it's on track to get us there. And even doing what we're doing now, that just a little bit more of it, just increasing the pace, increasing the scale a tad, isn't going to get us there. But then I see all these ideas that people have and new strategies and new models and deconstruct this and reconstruct that. And it strikes me that that wouldn't do it either. I don't think there's a single strategic tweak that will see 400,000 people added to the kingdom. And I'm a strategy guy, I love the strategy stuff. But I don't think strategy is going to get us there. In fact, what I would say is this the only way, the only way we'll see anything like that happen is if God moves. We need God to move. And we need God to move in a way like none of us have experienced in our lifetime in the West. We need God to move like he's moved in the past, in the stories of old, in the revival times. We need that again. We need God to move here, like we hear the stories of him moving in other parts of the world. God has moved in this way before and we need him to move again. And it made me read some of these stories. It made me read about how God has worked and it made me dream that God can work like that again now. And as I've read these old stories of revival, there's a few things I've noticed. There seems to be some common threads that weave through the stories. Now, God is absolutely sovereign. He can work as he chooses, and yet there seems to be a pattern of how he likes to do it. And the first thing that I noticed is it's often at the same kind of time. It's often at a moment when certain things are going on that are pretty much common every time in terms of what's going on in the world. Mark Sayers, in his brilliant book Reappearing Church, sums up this point, and he says, a study of history shows that it is precisely at moments like this, when the church appears to be sliding into an unalterable decline, when culture is shaken by upheaval, when the world globalizes, opening up in new frontiers and fostering chaos and change, that God moves again. Isn't that just a description of Our time, the church, appearing to slide into unalterable decline. Haven't the last few decades of the church here in the West been a waning influence, been a decline, been a shrinking numerically? When the culture is shaken by upheaval, and these last three years, our culture has experienced more upheaval than at any time since the Second World War and the world globalizing, and think about the digital revolution that's taken place, and how much smaller the world seems, how much more interconnected the world is. All these are the markers of times when God's moved in revival, and our time shares the same Characteristics. I saw someone say that our moment is ripe for revival, and I love that idea, and it makes me cry out and pray, God, bring it on. God, we need this. The second thing, then, that I've noticed in the stories that's a bit of a pattern is when God brings revival. He doesn't usually start out there in the world. He usually starts by doing something with the church. He usually starts by bringing a renewal to his people. So, for example, with the great Methodist revival of the 18th century, where that started was a little prayer gathering with John Wesley and George Whitfield and Charles Wesley and others. This is from John Wesley's diary on Monday, the 1st of January, 1739. And he writes this, about three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer. I'll just get that for a second. It's three in the morning. What are they doing? They're praying. That is hardcore. They're seeing in the new year. And how are they seeing it in? Well, they gathered together to spend the night in prayer and at three in the morning he says the power of god came mightily upon us and so so much that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground so they're there gathered seeking god and god meets with them and god does a work in them and it's from that work that god does in them that everything else begins it's a similar story with the, the Pentecostal renewal at Azusa Street. This is how Harvey Cox describes that. He says, the fire from heaven descended on April the 9th, 1906 on a small band of black domestic servants and custodial employees gathered for prayer in a wooden bungalow at 214 North Bonnie Bray Avenue in Los Angeles, California. When the fire finally did fall, shouts of joy and rapturous dancing before the Spirit resounded through the neighbourhood, the word got out. Night after night, people crowded into the little house, stood on the porch, and stepped in the street to listen and to catch a glimpse. It's exactly the same story, isn't it? A group of believers are gathered together, they're praying, they're seeking the face of God, and then the fire from heaven falls upon them they have a renewal, but from this it spreads and revival comes. Isn't it interesting that it starts with the people of God? And it seems particularly to start when the people of God are praying and seeking God's face. As the people of God come together and draw near to God, God draws near to them and the fire Comes. Isn't that just the same as how it was on the day of Pentecost? What were that group of believers in the upper room doing? They were praying. They were gathered in prayer and the Spirit was poured out upon them. So it happens at the same kind of time. It starts in the church but then it spreads into the world. All those examples I just mentioned, it didn't stop in the prayer meeting. The fire came in the prayer meeting but then spread. Think about from John Wesley and George Whitfield. Out of that prayer meeting, they went preaching the gospel into every town and village that they could. They preached to millions of people across the UK and across North America, and they saw many, many, many people added to the kingdom, and revival came. Or from that prayer meeting in California, Azusa Street, what happened? It spread and Pentecostalism became the biggest spiritual movement of the 20th century. In Acts, as the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it enabled the believers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, I'll tell you something that I've noticed when I read the gospel accounts and particularly uh, the bits of the gospel accounts after Jesus rose from the dead. It seems like the risen Christ only had two things to say, and he just kept looping back to these things. He'd say them using different words and in different ways, but he kept coming back to these two things. Number one, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. Number two, you're going to go and tell everyone about me. Renewal for revival. And this commission to tell everyone, this wasn't just limited to a few Christians, a few specialists. It was for all disciples. Becky Pippa says, Jesus didn't say, go therefore and make disciples, all you extroverts, all you gifted evangelists, all you professional clergy, and okay, all you Baptists, and the rest of you just hang out, sing some hymns, I'll be back. Now, Jesus calls every disciple in every age from every tribe be his witnesses and here's what's so interesting he doesn't say one word about our gifting this is a commission for all of us whether we feel able or not whether we feel extroverted or not whether we feel gifted or not we're all called to do this so where does the enablement comes from well she says where we need to begin in evangelism is to celebrate our smallness and then lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Spirit for a reason, and that's to enable us to spread his word and see his kingdom grow. And that's what renewal, the revival, is all about. We want God to do a work in us, so that through us, he'll do a work in the world. Now, this isn't an exact formula you can't pin it down to hey if you put all these inputs in it will always happen someone was joking with me when he bought his ticket to this conference will we be guaranteed a revival in the price of the ticket obviously we can't guarantee everything but what we can do is lean into the promises of scripture what we can do is come to God with the things that he said and plead them back to him in prayer I want to highlight two particular promises like this, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. What's striking about these is even though the context is so different, the historical situation is different in both instances. The people it was originally spoken to are different people, yet they both say pretty much exactly the same thing. You see the same beats of the promise happening in both scriptures. So the first one is quite a well-known one, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And the one we'll spend a bit more time on today in the New Testament, Acts 3, verses 19 to 20. This is just after Peter and John have spoken healing to the paralyzed guy on the way in to the temple. and The crowd's gathered, and Peter's giving a bit of a speech about how they've crucified Jesus, and God's raised him from the dead, and then it's the call to action. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see, they've both got the same ingredients. Repent therefore and turn back. If my people were called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's a call to repentance. And what happens when repentance takes place? Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin, that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance leads to forgiveness and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and I will heal their land. You see, in both instances, it's repentance, it's forgiveness, but then it's something of a refreshing, a healing, a renewal, a revival to come. These verses have the same shape, and they both start with this call to repentance that may seem a surprising place to start and to go in a message like this but it's fundamental if we want to see God do a work of renewal in us then it begins with a repentance a turning from our wicked ways you probably know that the word repentance it literally means turn around it's like we've been walking in one direction our backs been turned to god our eyes have been on whatever idol or sin has captivated our heart and the call to repentance is to turn around turn our back on our sin and our wicked ways and turn our eyes upon the lord It may be no surprise to hear that as a child, I was a mardy little boy. I I loved to get my own way and I'd sulk and I'd kick off if mum and dad wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. And one of the things that I'd do if I didn't get my own way is I'd sometimes run away from home and I'd leave the front door, I'd run down to the bottom of our road, then I'd turn left and I'd be running down the next street. And I think in my head what was gonna happen is I was gonna make it all the way to my grandparents' house and plead my case with them and they'd side with me and tell mum and dad why I should have my own way. It was never gonna happen, but that's what I had in my head. But usually, along the way, what would happen is I'd reach a certain point and then this thought would come into my mind, I'd just be, what the heck am I doing? This is ridiculous. This is stupid. Why am I running in this direction? And so I'd grind to a halt and then slowly, slowly I'd turn around and I'd start walking back home. And what I'd do in that moment That is an illustration, that's a visual picture of what repentance is. You are running in the wrong direction, but that moment that you turn around and you head home. That's repentance. That's what we are called to do. Now at the moment, there are loads of high-profile cases in the news where sin is being exposed in different people. I'm not going to spend time today on those things specifically, only to say this, if you're hearing this and you know that you have skeletons in your closet, then let me urge you to deal with them, to confess what you need to confess, to repent of what you need to repent of, and know that when you do, God's grace is there for you, it says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have a call to repentance, but I think this call to repentance is not just for those people whose sins are headline worthy. I think this is a call to us all. It's a call to the people of God to turn and to seek the face of God once more. It's a call to repent of settling for our own strength. For years, we've been doing church by our own ability, by our own creativity. We think we know how to put on a service. We've got this. We know how to do it. We're creative. We're clever. We have Christian celebrities we can draw on. We've got a certain methodology that's bound to work and we've trusted in all this stuff that we can manufacture. And along with that, we've taken the hunger dials for the presence of the living God and we've drawn them right down because we have our substitutes in place. It's time to repent. It's time to turn back to God, to turn up those hunger dials, to seek his face once more because our strength cannot do it. We need God. So let's turn back and cry out to him. And what will happen when we repent? Well, our verses say as we repent, as we turn back to God, he will hear from heaven and will forgive our sin. Or the other verse says that our sins may be blotted out. One of the things we love to do at Christchurch Manchester is train new preachers. We're a multi-site church, and there are different sermons in every site. So we need to bring a lot of people through who can preach. And over the last few years, we've probably trained uh, in excess of 100 different preachers and one of the the things we do to to help do this is we have a little preaching course where over three evenings we gather people together, we teach them some of the basics, how do you understand a bible passage and how do you construct a talk on it. But my favourite bit of the course is in the third session because in, in this third and final even it, everyone who's been on the course gets to have a go, and they deliver a little talk to the rest of the group, who then give them a bit of interaction and feedback based on it. Well, a few years ago, we were doing the course and one of the ladies on the course had just started doing her talk. And she started with a little story that she was telling. But about a minute and a half into her talk, she realized that she'd meant to read the Bible passage at the start and she'd forgotten to do so. And so she just stopped in her tracks with this story she was telling. And she just says, oh, shh. And she says a word that I've never heard in a sermon before and in that moment then once she realized what she'd said and the context in which she'd said it there was this mortified look on her face. oh my goodness I can't believe what I've just done now, as part of the, the course, what we do uh, is we have one of these little voice recorders, and we record what's being said so that then other leaders, site leaders, and people like that can have a listen, and it's there on the record, this little talk that's been given, and um, when she realized what she said, and when she realized it was on the recording and that her site leader would hear it, you could see this look of panic came across her face, and In that moment, there was a choice to make. How are we going to deal with this? What do we do? Do we give her a bit of stick about it? Do we tell her off? No, that's not what we're going to do at all. And and we, we took the voice recorder and we showed her what button stops the recording. And we showed her how to find the file uh, of the recording of what she'd said. And we showed her the button to press to erase that file. And it was gone. It's completely erased from the record. And she did the talk again, did a great job. She's preached on Sunday since and done really well. But do you see what happened in that moment? That mistake, that thing she said that she shouldn't have said, it's erased. It's gone. It's wiped from the record. Isn't that what Jesus has done for you and I? We all have things that we said and done and thought that are not right, that we shouldn't have said and done and thought. That's our sin. And yet because of Christ on the cross, the record has been wiped clean. As far as the east is from the west, so far I have removed your sin from you. And that's the basics of the gospel, right? If you're here at this conference, you know this. You know this is what Jesus has done for you. But I wonder to what extent this has sunk in. I wonder how deeply seated this is in our hearts. I wonder if there are still some of us here saying, look, it's all well and good to talk about renewal and God doing a work and revival coming. But God wouldn't do that through someone like me god wouldn't do it through someone who's done the stuff that i've done he'd find someone more qualified he'd find someone more holy well why wouldn't he use someone like you your sin is totally washed away and in ephesians it says he has good works in advance for you to do Last summer, I came across a song by Lana Del Rey. And the main line of that song is, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have. And then she goes on and the lyric changes and she sings, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman with my past. Now, I don't know what she's referring to. I've not looked into what is in her past. And I don't know what's in your past either. I don't know what the things are that you've done or said or thought. But I do know through Christ, your sins are forgiven, they're blotted out, and so now you have hope that God will use you, that God will build his kingdom through you, that God has got works in advance for you to do. There is hope in spite of our past because of Christ and that hope is a dangerous thing in all the best ways it's dangerous to the kingdom of darkness that he set this new hope in us through the gospel that his work will come about through his people so we repent and our sins are blotted out and then there's this promise that he will heal their land or that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord now, when you think about times of refreshing, don't you just think, oh, I need that. That's exactly what I need. As we go through life, there are ups and downs. There are challenges and heartaches. It's exhausting. Couldn't we use some refreshing? I think about a snapshot of the people that I've spent time with, and just a week in my life, some of the people who i met. I think about an older lady who's really struggling with loneliness. A lot of her friends that she had earlier in life are gone. And now she's struggling with that. She's also worrying that her mind is starting to go and she can't rely on it like she used to. And I think about her situation. I just think, wow, she could use some refreshing right about now. And I think about Uh, A friend I saw, a guy in his 50s who's been battling skin cancer for years and has had round upon round upon round of chemo. I think, goodness me, couldn't he use some refreshing right about now? I think of a single friend of mine who who knows that God's called him to singleness, yet he struggles to find joy in that. But yeah, he could use some refreshing right now. Think about the lady whose partner's become unwell over the last year and has now become a full-time carer. She could use some refreshing right now. Think about the person I know who's just had a promotion at work and has become super busy and can no longer do all the things that they used to do. So, yeah, they could use some refreshing. Think about the person in a job who's pretty fed up and frustrated with their career, and is weighing up whether they need to change careers, change jobs, get out of it entirely. Yeah, they could do with some refreshing. Think about the man whose grown-up son has struggled with drug addiction for years and years. Yeah, he could use some refreshing. Isn't a single one of them who would say, no, I don't want to be refreshed right now. It's what they all need. It's what I need. I'm sure it's what you need. If I picked a different week, it'd be a different set of people. But you know what? They would need refreshing too. There's a promise here that times of refreshing will come. And refreshing, it's not just about escaping the circumstances. If circumstances change, you know what? We still need refreshing. It's not just about learning some better time management. Refreshing, according to our verse here, refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord it's that John Wesley prayer meeting where the glory of God came at three in the morning it's that Azusa street group of young men and women gathered together praying seeking God and the fire from heaven came it's that day of Pentecost the spirit poured out on that prayer meeting in the upper room the presence of the Lord is where the time of refreshing comes from I'm not going to spend loads of time today distinguishing between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence. We know God's always present everywhere. That's the omnipresence. But what we're talking about is different. We're talking about the manifest presence where we know, where we just say, yes, I've met with the living God. That's the manifest presence of God. And Tony Evans said this, revival is the return of God's manifest presence to his people for the purpose of them renewing their relationship with him. That's the renewal piece and each other. And for the good of the broader society, that's the revival piece. It's necessary because much of what God determines to do or not do in the world is determined by his relationship to his people. We need the presence of God that's the game changer everything will change as the people of God encounter the presence of God and are sent out on the mission of God so let's repent let's see our sins forgiven and let's see this time of refreshing come in the presence of the Lord